Last week we were in Ephesians chapter two and I'm, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and just turn there, but I'm gonna ask you to grab a piece of paper and a pen today uh, because we're gonna kind of take a scattered approach today in what we're gonna be looking at. Last week we were looking at what it means to be called out into salvation and God making a church out of us. Now we're certainly talking about the, the local church here and we talked about the three things that God uses for illustrations last week. Do you remember that? He said, first, you're citizens of the kingdom, then you're part of God's household, and now you're being built into a growing building that is the temple of the living God, that, that is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about that, we mean Judson Baptist Church, that's for sure. We do mean that, but we mean so much more than Judson Baptist Church. We mean the church universal of which Judson Baptist Church is a part of. And I want you to keep that in mind this week as we kind of talk about that because as we talked about that, we talked about God fitting us together. This idea that we are the stones of the temple being fit together into one growing building. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means something important for us, especially as we talk about kind of bumping into one another and like, oh, what just happened? That's just us being fit together. God doing that and making us into this great thing that he calls the church. And as we talk about that, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves this question. Like, why do we exist? What's the purpose here? Why, why does Judson Baptist Church exist? When we talk about architecturally, why do we exist? We could talk about this building in and of itself. And we call it the sanctuary. Uh, sometimes you may hear us call it like the worship center, but really we, we most often refer to it as the sanctuary. And that word should sound familiar to you, sanctified, sanctification. All of those words mean holy. They mean set apart. You know, what we don't do in here are things that we do in other parts of the building. This really is dedicated to the worship of the Lord. And, and that's important that you understand that, and we'll come to that in a minute. But when we, when we meet together, that's something that we do that's set apart. That's different than a multi-purpose room that we have over here. You know, we have a gathering space that we do a lot of things in or a student space or a gymnasium where we play basketball and that, that's different. All of them though are purpose built for a reason. And it's a good thing for us to ask this question. Why do we exist? Why does this church exist? 4,900 Franklin Pike, why are we here? Well, we've been here for 110 years. We started in, in 1911 and here we are 2021. And and it's important for us to kind of go back and answer that question. And I think it would be good for us to read these last two verses that we read last week again. And then we'll kind of unpack that a little bit and hopefully add a little bit of nuanced understanding because I think it's easy for us to forget why we exist. What really is the purpose? So I would just wanna read verses 21 and 22 again from Ephesians chapter two. Sorry, I should have said that earlier. In him, the whole building being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Well, if we're going to understand who we are, we have to understand what we're supposed to be doing. And every year we talk about that when we come into the fall of the year, we talk about this passage of scripture where Jesus gave the disciples their marching orders. He said, this is your commission. You're on mission with me and you shouldn't lose sight of this this is what you need to be doing. And it's familiar to us 
that have been here through a global focus emphasis, what we call our missions emphasis, global focus, because we look at it every year. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. It'll be on the screen. I just want to read it for you. Jesus said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a fascinating thing to ask a church why they exist, to look at their mission and vision, to kind of figure that out. Recently, I, I had the opportunity to, to kind of study these a little bit in depth, and I saw a church's mission statement, and as part of their mission statement, they talked about being part of the conservation movement of the earth. Now, that's important, but that's not the mission of the church. Now, here's what I want you to see about that. We've been talking about a lot of issues that are all around us in the world today. And I've said this to you before, like I don't know if we should have a Keystone Pipeline or not. I don't know. Higher pay grade than mine, don't know. I don't know if it should be fossil fuel or renewable energy. Higher pay grade than mine. I, I don't know how always to confront some of the things that we see as we're talking about racial issues that are in our city. But I do know this, all of those issues are secondary issues that can't be dealt with until we change a person's heart. If we change a person's heart, guess what they become? A steward of God's earth. If we change a person's heart, guess what they become? They become attuned to the idea that God loves all people. If we change a person's heart, we understand that injustice should not exist in our country. Do you see how these are all outworkings of things that start with a person's heart? So I'm not in the conservation movement. I'm in the conversion movement. I want to see people's hearts converted, changed, so that they come to know Jesus Christ. And that's our marching orders. They're the same for every church. We use some great commission language to express it like this at Judson Baptist Church when we say, we're a church family guiding people to take their next step in following Jesus. Those are very important. Do you hear the Great Commission language there? When we talk about guiding people to take a step, that could mean a step towards salvation, teaching them that they need a savior. That, that's a first step. It, it could be a Great Commission language, teaching them to observe all, of, all things of whatsoever I've commanded you. It could be that discipleship step is their next step. But whatever you express as your mission, it better be God's mission. Because that's what we exist to do, not anything else. Above all, that's our mission. As I thought about that recently, I thought about how important it is that we as a church re-engage that. That we re-engage mission again. For so long, we have had to be separated. We've had to be careful about things. And all of that was prudent. All of that was good. I'm not saying that it wasn't. But what I am saying is that gets you in a mode where you start thinking about yourself all the time. Remember we talked about this last week. If you start with me all the time, you miss what God's doing. So when we, when we look at the world, it's easy for us right now to run past some of these gospel engagements that we should be having. And this week, I was just kind of replaying that in my mind. And I thought about how many gospel engagements I just run past and missed over the last week or two. Opportunities that I had to shape a conversation, or as one of my friends calls it, give somebody just a little God nudge, just, just a, a little nudge. I'm not trying to push you into it, but just, just a nudge that just says, have you thought about the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Are you a part of a church? I, I had an opportunity to do that this week. My, my wife and I were talking about this week how 
Interesting it is that we often thought that as our kids became teenagers, it would be easier. In some ways it is. But one thing, you know, I, I hear people talk about like they don't want, I'm, I'm nervous for my kids to drive. I'm so ready for that. Get out. You run running errands for me. You're going to do things for me. You go take care of your social life now, right? We are the taxis. I mean, that's all we're doing. And so I was at a taxi event. I had taken one of the kids to something. We were talking about this thing and should we be part of this, these after school things and all this kind of stuff. And I just had an opportunity just to have just a little God nudge that says, you know, this is important for us. We are interested in it. But, you know, we're people of faith, and so there's some things that for us are just more important. Like Wednesdays and Sundays are just more important. This is important, but it's not most important. It's, that's just a little God nudge. It's not much, but it's just a little God nudge to say, I, I'm, I want you to see that there's a difference in my life because of what Jesus has done. That's our mission. We have to re-engage that. That's what we do. How do we do that? If you turn to the book of Acts or you watch on the screen, it'll be up there in just a second. Another familiar passage, if you've been around here, this is the early church starting out. So it's as close as we get to Jesus and the commission before it kind of gets polluted by all the stuff, right? You know, it, it, it's just as pure as it can get. What were they doing? What were they uh, kind of on point with? What were they seeing as the primary things and the way they accomplished that mission was basically through six things. I'm just going to read two verses, but it kind of gives you these six things. Verses 41 and 42 of Acts chapter 2. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Functionally, they operated with six things as a church. The first thing was evangelism. We just talked about that. That's the mission. Gospel engagements. The good news. That's what evangelism is. It's just sharing good news with people. There's a God that loves you. Jesus died for you. That's gospel. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's gospel. Secondly, they were discipling people. They were teaching them to observe all things that God had commanded. It said that they continued in the apostles' teaching. They didn't forget about it. The Lord's instruction was important. They were looking at the scriptures that they had, the Old Testament for them. We have the Old and New Testament. They were looking at those things and building their lives around that. They were concerned with fellowship. Now, if you're Baptist, you know about fellowship. Come on. You know that we're gonna have a donut or some ice cream or a casserole that's what we do. And you may think that that's unimportant. You know, you may have blown off kickball night the other night and ice cream and thought, I don't play kickball and I don't really care about eating ice cream. You missed the point. It's not about kickball. It's not about ice cream. It's about fellowship. It's about the church being together and understanding that there's something that happens when we know one another that's really important. They understood that they're breaking bread from house to house. They were doing it. They were prayerful people. We've challenged you and encouraged you to join us in renewal conferences every year where we refocus our corporate prayer lives together. Where we, I said lives, lives together, where we bring that together and, and focus that in. Where we've asked you to join us on specific days of national prayer, prayer and fasting. That was important. They continued praying for one another. They were worshiping the Lord. It says they kept meeting. 
They were doing those kinds of things. You know, what we're doing right now, that, that's an expression of that worship. That's important. They were ministering to one another. A couple of verses down, it said that anybody that had a need, they were meeting those needs. So that's, that's kind of how they were doing it. They had these six functions. Well, we're doing the same things, aren't we? Gospel engagements, sharing the gospel, dental clinics like we're doing this coming week, just trying to reach out to people to meet a need that they have so that we can share the gospel. We're trying to disciple people with men's and women's Bible studies, life groups, Awana, Merge, student ministry, senior adult activities. We're doing all of those things so that we can disciple people and see them grow into the fullness of knowing Christ. We're doing fellowship like, like ice cream nights and, and we're gonna have a, a hot dog lunch next week and, and don't be the person that's like, I don't like hot dogs. Just bring something else and eat it and be happy. It's not about the hot dog. Do you understand? It's about being together. It's not about whether you like the activity. That's not the point. This isn't a buffet or some consumeristic approach where you just show up and it's like, I, I like that, but I'm not gonna come to this because I don't like it. It's about being together and building the church important. We understand that, that we continue to, to pray for one another and pray together and, and go before the Lord and pray for one another as a church. We worship regularly here. I mean, you can worship anywhere, but it's not this. When I go to the mountains, I love it. It's awesome. It's not that it's not a worshipful experience, but that's good, but it's not commanded. Do you know the difference? One's good, once commanded. What's the difference? It's good to do that. This is commanded. Let us not forsake together the gathering of believers as is the custom of some. This is commanded. This is not if I get around to it. God demands our worship and ministering, just meeting needs that we see with the resources that God provides. Not overlooking people, but trying to meet their needs. Well, if that's how we do it, one of the things that I think is important is that we really understand the character of who we are as a church. Because we can understand the mission, we can understand how we go about it, but if we don't understand the character of the church, and character is what my friend one time described as what you are when the lights are off and no one can see. Like, who are you? That's your character. What's the character of the church? Look back at Ephesians. I want you to see this again in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, in him, the whole thing being built together grows into a holy temple. That word is so important. It's so important for us to understand who we are. It's important for us to see that because if we understand that we're a holy temple, then it makes sense that you're being built together for, the, for God's dwelling in the spirit. That God's trying to do something where his spirit dwells and God's spirit won't cohabitate those places that are polluted with sin, right? I mean, it just doesn't work. They don't exist together. That's why in Corinthians, Paul says, you yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, don't be sexually immoral because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't just run past that like it's not important. You need to be holy as I am holy, he says. Well, this shouldn't be a surprise for us because if we understand this, then we understand what God's been doing all along. And, and I think this really came to light for me as I was thinking about something that Pastor Rich has on his whiteboard in his office. And it's something that all of us have heard who are pastors. We're taught this. 
It's not original to any of us. It's, it's been around forever. But it's just the words, be, no, do. Be, no, do. And, and what that means is you have to be something before you know something, before you can do something. You have to be someone. You have to be what God desires. You have to have his character, the character of Christ in you. You, you can't get to the knowledge base first and know all the stuff but live a life that's not on point for the Lord. You can't be a person who knows what to do and be busy doing all of the church work and be religious, but not be holy before the Lord. Why is that? Well, see, God's never wanted to exist in a vacuum. He doesn't exist in a vacuum. Sometimes we think that God's off in heaven somewhere doing whatever he does, or he's in like outer space doing whatever he does. And he just kind of sits there and watches this, and that's not true. God created man and woman so that he could be in relationship with them. God walked with them. He talked with them. God called Abraham out of where he was living and formed a people with him. And now God's building a church. And as he does that, he's doing it on purpose. He wants to have relationship. He has relationship as a triune God. He is relational with God the, the Son and God the Spirit. He exists in relationship with us. And when we talk about that, it's important that we know who we are, yes. It's important that we know what we do. It's important that we know how to do it, but it starts with who we are. Holy. Read back with me Ephesians chapter one, verses four through six. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be, there's that word again, holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Do you see the common thread there? God was saving you to be holy and now he's building you to be holy. That has a massive effect on what we're doing here as a church because if the church is supposed to be holy, it can only be as holy as the people that make up the church. When I was a little kid, we used to do this thing where we'd say like, you know, you inter interlock your fingers, say here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, look at all the people, that kind of thing. If we're not holy, the church isn't. We're not set apart, the church isn't. And the church was always meant to be the shining light to the culture of what God was doing. Not that we're perfect, certainly not. But that we are peculiar to a lost culture because we are holy, set apart. Not chasing what they chase, not running after what they call important, but set apart for God's own purposes. All week long in thinking about that, I just couldn't help but think about the prophet Amos. You probably haven't read the book of Amos lately. Unless you were in Awana, you probably can't find the book of Amos. I'm going to save you the pain. It'll be on the screen in just a minute when we read from it. Amos is one of the minor prophets. Do you know the difference between major and minor? It's not importance, it's length, right? So Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, major prophets, long many chapters. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, memorize them in threes. It's the only way you can do it. 
those, the book of the 12 they're called, minor prophets. But with a major message and one for us as a church. One that I think is important for us because as Amos writes, he begins saying to the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, hey guys, guess what? God's judgment is about to come on the nations that surround you. Watch this. And he starts prophesying about this and he starts saying some things. And what he says, I'm sure started getting a hearty amen. It was like, listen to these nations. You'll recognize some of them. He says, Damascus is about to be under God's judgment. Gaza, about to be under God's judgment. Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, all about to be under God's judgment. And I can imagine the people hearing that going, that's right. It's about time. They need it, Lord. You need, you, that's right. You do need to do something about them. They are terrible, wicked. They're not your people. They're not who we are. It is about time. But then Amos says, Israel, you're about to be under God's judgment. Judah, you're about to be under God's judgment. You see, the nation of Israel had fractured into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And if you remember when the nation was formed and you have King Saul and King David, it just doesn't last much longer. A couple of kings in and we've already had a breakaway. We're now a divided kingdom. Well, Israel ran after foreign gods and false gods really quickly. And so the people in Judah are always like, yeah, well, get them for sure. Glad you're getting Damascus, Tyre, Edom, Sidon, all these, gro- th- these groups, Ammon. That's awesome. That's cool. And you get in Israel? Good. And then it comes to Judah and I'm coming for you too. What? Now, wait just a second. There's got to be a mistake. We are your people. We're your people. How could that be? And the prophet gives some reasons of why this is about to happen. He says, you have rejected the instruction of the Lord. It's easy to do. When you allow the culture to set the agenda, it's easy to reject the instruction of the Lord. It's easy to say, oh man, that stuff is so old. We need to contextualize this in the modern day. This is important for us. To to bring it kind of into the modern era, pastor. I mean, surely God didn't really mean, I mean, did he really? Does that not sound to you like what Satan said in Genesis to Adam and Eve? Did God really? Hmm. And so as churches, we kind of bow into the culture. Now, here's one thing that we have to admit, and all of us need to get on board with this. We don't realize, I say this to you often, we don't realize that cultural creep happens every day. It moves in on you a little bit and, and, and you just don't, you don't recognize it. It's easy to kind of not know that's going on and you don't see it. It's just kind of, it's slow, but before too long, you, you kind of look like the culture. But what he's saying is you've rejected the instruction of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that never changes. When we look at the culture, what we say to the culture is there's a God in heaven who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what he has said. Not what I say, what he has said. Repent and believe. We bring the gospel. Now, does that mean that we're not culturally relevant? Well, I hope that we're culturally relevant. I hope we're not cultural. Well, what does that mean? When I first got married, my mother was kind of a, a, enough to... Uh, come up with a little cookbook that she gave me so that my wife could have it 
to make me some of these recipes that I had grown up with. That's a good mother. My mother's a great cook. I love my mother's cooking. But kind of early on, I just kind of earmarked a couple of those and told my wife, we don't ever need to make these. (laughs) Do you know how dishes change? You know, things change. I mean, what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, there are certain things that maybe you grow up eating that have kind of gone the way. For instance, uh, I didn't grow up, I don't know if you did, but I didn't grow up eating a lot of fresh fruit at dinner. Like we had apples in the house or a banana in the house or something like that. But I didn't grow up eating like fruit at night for dinner. That, that's one of the things. If we did, it was a fruit cocktail with those old pruny grapes in it, you know, and just kind of nasty. And, and if you were really lucky, you got a cherry in yours. You know what I mean? And I actually grew up thinking that cherries came in a jar with sugar water, maraschino cherries. And you just ate them like that. It was like, this is fruit. What's bad? What's bad about it, right? I ate the whole jar. It was awesome. I've had my servings. I'd never eaten a cherry with a seed in it until I met my wife. And she said, those aren't real cherries. We're going to eat a real cherry. They're good for you. Antioxidants and all this kind of stuff, right? Things just change. I don't remember the last time that somebody served a fruit cocktail at my mother's house or something. It's just, it's just changed. It's just not the same anymore. Certain things that I grew up eating were, were very comfortable. Uh, casseroles. Casseroles are Okay. I protest a little bit if they show up at my house. But I probably have a casserole kind of phobia because of all the nasty covered dish luncheons I had to go to as a child. People always ask me around here, why can't we have a covered dish luncheon? It's like, because they're gross. They're gross. What do you mean? Those green beans have been sitting out for three hours and now we're just going to go in there and eat them. It's like, this is so great. Who made these? No, that's gross. I don't want to do it anymore. Freaks me out on so many levels, you know? Things just change, right? it's It's just different. We still eat. We still eat chicken. We still eat fruit. It it just looks a little bit different. It just, it's changed. The culture's changing. And we have to recognize that without becoming like them because the instruction of the Lord is the thing that anchors us. So when we look, there are things that maybe we did as a church 20 years ago that seemed very culturally relevant as we presented the gospel, that today we would go, we still have the gospel, but we need to reimagine how we might present that to someone. That's all. The gospel didn't change. God's standards didn't change. The word of God hasn't changed. And for us to reject the instruction of the Lord, we'll find ourselves just like them. Secondly, he said they followed the lies of their ancestors. Their ancestors always believed they had a raw deal. You're punishing us because of the stuff our parents did. We're eating the bitter grapes over here because what our parents did. That was a famous kind of little saying that they had. It's not really our fault. No atonement for personal sin. I just keep believing the lies. Somebody else's fault. Somebody made me the way that I am and I have no moral responsibility for the things that I have chosen to do. At a certain point, No one's making you do anything anymore. You're doing it because you chose to do it, right? You can't blame mom and dad. You can't blame your environment. You're doing it. Then he said they didn't care about the poor. They just ran by it. It didn't matter anymore. They didn't care about the abused. They became sexually immoral. And all the while, 
injustice was taking place and they knew about it, they just let it roll. Big deal. You want to bribe somebody? As long as it's not bothering me. But when you come to Amos chapter 5, and you read it, in the middle of all of this judgment, there's just this little sliver of hope because there's always something that God's doing just like this. He's always telling people, while the world decays around you, and we might do the same thing, we might say, yes, that city is so messed up, Lord. Our city's messed up. That state, that nation, that this, that this. And yeah, you ought to bring judgment over there. And God says, I'm bringing it to you. And hold up. Wait just a second. I want you to see what Amos told this group in verse 14 and 15 of chapter five. Pursue good and not evil so that you may live and the Lord, the God of armies will be with you as you have claimed. Hang out here for just a second and think about that. To pursue good and not evil. When you pursue good, it's not passive, is it? It's, it's not waiting for it to come to me. It's me going after it. We often talk about following Christ as this glorious pursuit that we're on. We're chasing after something that's amazing. We're chasing after salvation and sanctification and holiness and righteousness that is ours in Christ. And it's not passive. We're not just sitting around waiting for it to happen. We're chasing it, hardcore going after it. It's a pursuit. It's something that we want. And he says, you need to pursue good and not evil. There's a choice to be made there. Don't just sit around and hope that it happens. Pursue it, make it happen. And he says, the reason you need to do this is so that the Lord of armies will be with you as you have claimed. See, they had the knowledge. They knew what to do. They, they were claiming all of the right things. We're God's people. God's promises are for us. We're God's chosen people. This is amazing. God would never do it. You get after them, Lord. That's right. Get after those people, but we are good. We're your people, but I'm coming after you. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't. We're your people. And we do the same things, right? It can be the exact same thing. It's like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If God be for me, who can be against me? My God will supply all your needs and, and, and out of his riches in, in Christ Jesus. Oh man, God will never put more on you than you can handle. All these kinds of things that we say and we claim these things, never understanding there's a B section over here. You have to be, there's being. Holy, set apart. Not just going through the motions of what we know to do over here, because we do know how to do it. We can be busy religiously. We can come in here and ask you to serve and do all of these things. And you can do all of that. If this over here isn't right, it doesn't matter what you know and it doesn't matter what you do. That's what they were doing. They knew it all. We know you shouldn't worship these other gods. But I mean, you know, it's not that bad. Worship a little bit of Baal. We are worshiping God, but a little bit of Baal, he's good. Asherah poles. I don't approve of them, but if I walk by one, I might worship for just a minute. Cult prostitution, probably not, but you never, never know. Wouldn't want to say something about somebody. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to say, everything's okay. It's all good, and God is for us. And the prophet's saying, you've missed it. Because God wanted you always to be the church. This group of people, the nation it was for them, called out and set apart so that when the world looked at you, while the world decays around us 
and the world falls to pieces around us, that what God would be doing is looking at us and saying, these are my people and I bless them when they are holy and righteous and they pursue me. And you ought to be able to see the difference and there ought to be a light shining because they're reflecting something that's already inside of them. They're being something. We run the risk of making the mistake that they made. Do you know what it was? It's the difference in one word and two letters. They were owners in their minds instead of servants now. We own the great things of God, they're ours. They lost the idea they were serving the most high God. And here's the difference. Here's how you can always tell if you're slipping into ownership mentality in the church. Owners think they deserve, servants serve. That's it. They serve from our, owners think they deserve things. These are ours. God must bless me, God must do, God has to, God blah, blah, blah. You just keep going and going and going. Servants go, I'm so glad you called me. I'm so glad you've made me. I'm, great, what, what, what's the plan? What are we doing? Let's go. How can I serve you, Lord? How can I do it? And it understands it from a little bit different mentality there of being holy and righteous before the Lord and pursuing what God has called good. The days ahead for this church stand at a crossroads for every church. Are we going to be who we know we should be? Or are we just gonna be puffed up in the knowledge of what we know and we know the right things, we know what to say and we can find the minor prophet that the pastor talked about today because we memorize the books of the Bible and that's good and all that kind of stuff. And we're gonna be very busy, we're gonna be very religious. I'm just gonna do a bunch of good things and just very religious, but I forget that if I'm immoral, it doesn't matter what I know. If I'm unholy, it doesn't matter what I'm doing and serving. I mean, that doesn't work. And there comes a moment where we have to say no to the culture and yes to the word. No to what we desire and yes to what he desires. And guess what? We get to do this again next week and the next week, next month, next year. And the city may be burning down around us. The state may fall to pieces. The country may not exist. Uh, we, we, we may go through wars and tumult and all those kinds of things. But there was always this group of people. If you read the Old Testament, there's always a group of people who stayed holy to the Lord. And God's promises were true for them. God's trying to build something at 4900 Franklin Avenue. It's a church. Are you helping him do it by living holy or not? Now, over the last few weeks, we've spent a lot of time talking about what the gospel is. And I recognize that today has not been maybe the most explicit gospel message that you've ever heard. And so I want to just say this before we go any further. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christ follower to be in relationship with God the Father. I wanna to talk to you about that. As soon as our service is over, I'm gonna be sitting right here. I'd love to answer any of those questions, help you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But this message was for those 
who are the professing church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Are you living holy or are you living on the knowledge? Are you living on the activity? Claiming, oh, God's promises. God's gonna be for us. He's gonna do it. God's doing this. And we forgot the being. Before you know and do, you have to be something in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads right now and just close your eyes. There's encouragement in this because as we look at this, we recognize that that what God has wanted us to be, he's equipped us to be, and he blesses us when we're that way. Are you in Christ this morning? Have you repented of your sins and asked the living Lord Jesus Christ to save you? If you haven't, why not do it right now? Maybe you've been a little caught up in the knowledge or the doing and not so much the being. We need to be the church holy before the Lord growing into this great thing that he's building here his kingdom on earth for that to take place you have to be holy I have to be holy could we right now just let the Lord chasten us just a little bit and ask him to point out our hidden faults our sins Lord Jesus, make us the church you want us to be. And help us not to be so focused on the knowledge base or the the busyness of the doing that we forget who we're supposed to be in you, holy and blameless before you, called into relationship. Father, we pray that as we shine the light here at Judson Baptist Church, right in our little piece of Nashville, Tennessee, that you would use this church to be the lighthouse for a lost and dying world all around us and that you would draw them to your son. Father, forgive us our sins, our hidden faults. Lord, make us holy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.